This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Twenty twenty two is Queen Elizabeth's platinum jubilee, marking seventy years on the British throne. To kick it off, the Australian Republican movement has outlined its preferred model for appointing an Australian head of state. In this quiz shortcut, we look at Australia's place in the Commonwealth and relationship with the British monarchy, the push for a republic and the defeated referendum in 1999, and how this new proposal for a republic might work in practice. Squiz Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Eliza Harvey. And I'm Claire Kimball. Claire, let's start in the late 1800s when the country was divided into six separate colonies and a series of meetings were held to thrash out the idea of officially transforming into a federated nation. You've got to love a bit of high school history. (laughs) Who doesn't love a bit of high school history? And look, long story short, there was enough people in the colonies who voted yes to becoming one nation. Delegates then took the draft constitution to London so it could be passed by the British Parliament. There was a bit of debate and argument, but the draft constitution was passed. And on the 1st of January 1901, the Commonwealth of Australia was proclaimed. And for Australia's part, we became what's called a constitutional monarchy. So, yeah, stick with us through this civics lesson. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What it means is that we elect our government, but our official head of state is the British monarch. Uh, As for that monarch, they're bound to act in accordance with the way our constitution says we should be governed. And in Australia's case, in this day and age anyway, it means the monarch is a figurehead who performs ceremonial functions and they do not, though, exercise political power. That power resides with the federal parliament. Okay, so I think I've got it here. We've got the foundation sorted. Sir Edmund Barton became Australia's first Prime Minister in 1901 and his government got cracking on setting up new national institutions and that included the Commonwealth Public Service and the Defence Force. And that's really important because World War I broke out in 1914, so not that long after Federation. Uh, What becomes clear is that despite being governed uh, by our own set of laws, we're thousands of miles away from the politics of Europe. Uh, Australia, though, stays very closely tied to Britain, and that meant that as Britain went to war, so too did Australia. And as they went to war, the reaction amongst Australians was generally one of patriotic exuberance for the British Empire. Four years is a long time, though. In 1918, Australia had lost 60,000 men in the war. Another 150,000 were wounded. And that's from a population of just 5 million. They're really incredible numbers. It was a devastating blow to the fledgling nation. And some commentators argue that shaped the foundations of Australia's future, including the future push to become truly independent of Britain. Let's get into that next. We're galloping through history here, Claire, but the next notable event to call out was the Second World War, which kicked off in 1939, and Australia again came to Britain's aid in its fight against the Nazis. And then, in early 1942, Singapore fell to Japan. 
Prime Minister John Curtin became increasingly concerned that Japan would set its sights on Australia. He voiced those concerns to Great Britain's Prime Minister Winston Churchill, but it fell on deaf ears. So Curtin turned to the Americans for help and got it, mostly because the Americans wanted a base in the Pacific region to try and thwart the power of the Japanese after that devastating attack on Pearl Harbour at the end of 1941. So long story short here, we were on the winning side of that war, but Britain's position as a dominant world power was really starting to dim, Claire. Yeah, Britain was left utterly drained after those two world wars, and at the time the United States was on the up. Uh, For our part, Australia remained very close to the United States, and those ties were forged during that war in the Pacific. But in our heart of political hearts, we were well and truly still aligned to the British Empire. And at the core of that was Robert Menzies. He was PM from 1939 to 41 and again from 1949 to 1966, which is a really long time. He played a central role in the creation of the Liberal Party. It's fair to say he was a fervent monarchist, Claire. Yeah, that's understating it a bit. (laughs) He really loved the monarchy. And during his time in office, Queen Elizabeth II became monarch and she became the first reigning sovereign to visit Australia. That happened in 1954. Uh, And they say that one million people were on Sydney's foreshores and streets when she arrived, uh, when the city's population was just 1.8 million. She was a huge hit. She certainly was, but the 1960s and 70s were a time of social change and Australia's cultural and economic interests expanded beyond Great Britain, with the US becoming more and more of a focal point for us. And then in 1975, we experienced one of the biggest political shocks in our history. Yeah, that was when the Governor-General, Sir John Kerr, uh, who was the Queen's representative in Australia, he dismissed Gough Whitlam and his government. And with that move, John Kerr broke all of the conventions around what the Queen's representative was meant to do. He did have the power to sack the Prime Minister, but it wasn't a power that was meant to be enforced and unless it was in the most extreme of constitutional crises. And in this case, critics said that Kerr's actions overruled the will of the Australian public and usurped a democratically elected government. And Claire, the dismissal, as it came to be known, fueled the Republican movement. Yeah, it did, but it wasn't until 1991 when the Australian Republican movement, the ARM, was officially formed. Its first chairman was author Thomas Keneally, uh, and from 1993 to the year 2000, it was run by a very little-known lawyer and businessman named Malcolm Turnbull. Hmm, who might he be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Around that time, there was another little-known wannabe politician named Tony Abbott. He headed up the opposition, uh, an organisation known as Australians for a Constitutional Monarchy. Then Labor PM Paul Keating said he thought Australia should be a republic in time for the centenary of federation in 2001. John Howard, another Liberal Party leader, committed to Australia remaining part of the Commonwealth and then he won the 1996 election, Claire. Yeah, and you'd think that that would be the end of it. But in 1998, he facilitated a big convention of pro-Republican and pro-monarchy delegates to talk it over for about 10 days. Uh, Specifically, they were charged with answering three questions, whether or not Australia should become a republic, which republic model should be put to the voters, and when this should all happen. 
So the first answer was yes, Australia should become a republic. And then, Claire, the two other questions... Yeah, so what they decided was there should be a president selected uh, via a bipartisan appointment supported by two-thirds of the federal parliament. And as for when, they said it should be put to the people in a constitutional referendum in 1999. Okay, so now you've brought us to the 6th of November 1999. That was referendum day. And Australians were asked to vote on two questions. Yeah, so the first question asked whether Australia should become a republic with a president appointed by the parliament following a bipartisan appointment model. And the second question asked whether the constitution should be altered to insert a preamble. And the answer to both was no. And on the key question of becoming a republic, the final vote was 45% in favour of change. 55% voted no. And that was a bit of a shock because the polling going into that referendum showed that Australians were supportive of becoming a republic. So the former Prime Minister Bob Hawke concluded on the night that Australians did want to become a republic but were confused by the model for how we'd install a head of state. And as I've just explained there, it is and it was quite confusing. The city-country divide was stark on that night. Those in the city supported change. But people outside metropolitan centres decisively voted no. Whatever your analysis, the issue was put to bed for about 20 years until a new proposal was floated a fortnight ago. Let's get into that now. As we head into the Queen's Platinum Jubilee commemorating 70 years on the throne, the Australian Republican movement has outlined its preferred model for appointing a new head of state. Take us through it, Claire. So each state and territory will nominate someone and the federal government will also chuck in three names. So that's a short list of 11 people. That list would then be put to the people in a vote uh, with the winner scoring a five-year term and the current Governor-General's workload. So it's sort of a blend of selection by our politicians as well as a vote from the people. Yeah, the ARM is sort of getting the best of both worlds where the politicians select the candidates and then it's put to a vote of the people. What ARM Chair Peter Fitzsimons has said is we don't want a direct election model where Australians get to pick the candidates and then vote on them because we don't want to end up with a Donald Trump-like figure uh, or perhaps someone like Shane Warne who might be really great at leg spin uh, but perhaps shouldn't be president of our country. No, I don't really see him in that role, to be honest. But Claire, all of that supposes that there is support for change to our system of government and becoming a republic. Yeah, that's a big if, though. And a poll by Ipsos last year showed that support for a republic is as low as 34%. And amongst 18 to 24-year-olds, it was just 26%. And maybe we could call that the Kate Middleton effect. Claire, I think you're talking about Catherine, the Duchess of Cambridge here. (laughs) Yep, that is her. (laughs) She's been in the news a lot lately. There's a number of pictures of her and Prince William looking very healthy and very happy. Uh, It's a new generation of royals that have connected with the people in a way that perhaps Prince Charles and his generation haven't. Uh, And what we know as well is they're very much part of popular culture. If you look at The Crown on Netflix, it's taken already high levels of admiration for Queen Elizabeth to stratospheric heights. 
Yes, big Crown fans over here we are. But uh, despite that, the ARM wants their model put directly to a referendum. Not more committees or delegations, just a vote that would coincide with the next federal election. But it's not that simple, Claire. No, and change never is easy. What the Australian Monarchist League says is that the ARM's proposed model puts too much power into the hands of politicians. Uh, It's a line that has worked in the past. Uh, And someone who you would think might be on board uh, is Republican Paul Keating, but he says that the country would be better off remaining a constitutional monarchy than going with the ARM's proposed model. Yeah, he says that the way that the person would be elected under the ARM's model would bestow them with a popular mandate and political authority that would disrupt the good government of the nation. But Claire, some other Labor figures are pretty supportive. Yeah, they are. And that's because it's official Labor policy to support Australia becoming a republic. Uh, The Coalition, on the other hand, doesn't have a formal policy on it. Uh, The Libs and the Nats leave it to their individual MPs and senators to support whatever side accords with their personal views. And as we head towards a federal election this year, it's something to keep an eye on. And that's your squeeze shortcut to calls for Australia to become a republic. Now on to our recommendations. Claire, I read a great article by Fairfax's or Nine Newspapers' Tony Wright that was published after the no vote in 1999. Gives you a really interesting insight into the mood at the time and the feelings that this was a fait accompli and I suppose questioning what went wrong from the ARM's perspective. Yeah, I will and truly remember that Republican referendum and it was quite a shock for many at the time. Uh, For me, I've got a link to a portrait of the Queen. It was done by William Dargie, who was a well-known and very respected Australian artist. Uh, She is dressed in what's known as the wattle gown. Uh, It was a dress that was made for her for that visit that she made in 1954. Uh, Dargie had to go to London uh, and paint that portrait and it's quite a story and it's quite a beautiful one and it's one of those ones that elicits that sort of glory time of when she was a new queen. Oh, wow, I can't wait to see it. She was such a beautiful woman. And thank you for tuning in to Squeeze Shortcuts. If you like our shortcut, you might consider leaving a review in your podcast app. And we always love getting your recommendations on shortcuts. So if you have any ideas on something you'd like us to get into the details of, let us know at hello at thesquiz.com.au. Until next week. Thank you.